Today's passage comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the word of the Lord. All right, Revived Church. Um, last week we had a, we had a glitch in that, the technology, and um, it kind of it grieves me because I pulled together a lot of gospel content to, toward the latter portion of my sermon, and uh, that's what got chopped off. So um, I hope you get a chance to listen to that, and it'll bless you. But today we're starting a new series, and um, it's called Life-Giving Wisdom, and most of the messages will come out of the book of Proverbs, and uh, just a lot of wisdom that's necessary in our culture, and um, so we're going to tackle some of that. But today, I want to give you an introductory message into this new series, um, not from the book of Proverbs, but from... 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and it is one of a, 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 it's the most profound words. Actually, it's not even just some of the most profound words from Scripture. It's some of the most profound words ever said on the subject of wisdom. And um, so let's get into that. And so, uh, you know, there's a phrase here. Uh, well, let's get into it. And, um, and like last week, I'm, I'm, I'm psyching you out. There's only two parts, Okay. Part one, choosing my power and wisdom over God's. Choosing my power and wisdom over God's. And part two, the foolishness of the cross breaking through uh, when our wisdom fails. The foolishness of the cross breaking through when, not if, when, when our wisdom fails. Um, Let's start this way. Um, one of the things that I have I've seen and and experienced much for, uh, as as a pastor, and especially in a city like ours, ours is a highly secular place, very post-Christian. Um, one of it's it's one of the lowest churched you know counties in all of America out here in Silicon Valley. I I, I think others there's some of the other counties in Barrie are even lower than us in terms of a church, uh, of regular church attendance, but we're, we're down there toward the bottom. And there's this idea that, uh, that the religion or the gospel or church, it feels irrelevant. That's the word that you hear. I'm, 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 I'm so glad this stuff works for you and that you, you know, it really is good for you, but mm, that church really for me. That's the polite way that our friends and our neighbors um, basically think about what the Bible would call the wisdom of God. And, um, and so some of you, uh, you know, you, you come to church because you, you think, is there something more? And I hope you know that there's something more. But one of the things I want to um, talk about, just to start with, I want to reread this passage. And I want to reread this passage kind of with a, 
a little bit more of a 21st century post-Christian secular way, you know, so you can hear the, the profound relevance of this passage. People think it's that, that what's taught at church isn't very relevant. Really? This is, I think, the most irrelevant thing that could possibly be. And listen. So let me start. Verse 18. For the word of the cross, the word of the cross, by the way, is the gospel. <laughs> For the gospel is folly. The gospel is stupid to those who are dying. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. You know who's saying that? That's God. God is saying this. If you think you're so smart, so well-educated, I'll destroy that. That's what he's saying. Verse 20. Where is the one who is so smart? Where is the intellectual, the writers, the, the wise books, the philosophers, the dissertations? Where are these things? Where is the debater? I think the today's word we use is pundit. Where's the pundits? Where are they? Right. Has not God made dumb what is smart today? In this world. For since in the wisdom of God, in this verse, I want you to really follow this verse. In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the stupidity, through the folly of what we preached to save those who believe. Just stop for a moment. It is actually in God's plan that you cannot reach him through how smart you are. You will not reach him through your wisdom. All the wisdom you're going to do, you won't reach him. In fact, if you think you're going to reach God, you're going to have a great life through your wisdom. God saying, no, it's not how I set it up. And that was his wisdom. And so, if you're going to reach God, you have to reach him through the stupidity of what we preach, the gospel. The stupidity of the gospel. That's what's going to save those who believe. Verse 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. For the religious people, because back then those were the people, the people believe in the Bible. The religious people, you know what they want? They want some miracle, some sign that God is paying attention. And the Greeks, the secular people, the secular people want that's what's smart. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block. Something that, like, ugh, gosh, I stumble over this thing. For the religious people, it's a stumbling block for the religious people and for the secular people. But to those who are called, both the religious and the secular, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's what I want you to take away throughout this whole series. Christ, our power, Christ, our wisdom. Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, preached through the stupidity of God, the gospel. For the foolishness of God, for the stupidity of God, is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, stronger than the world. That's the text. And I want to start by saying this.
Um, you know why the, the gospel sounds so foolish? And church, the teaching of the Bible, all this stuff doesn't sound very strong or interesting or smart because everybody assumes certain things. And when I say everybody, I'm not just talking about the unbelievers, I'm talking about even the Christians. And having been a pastor in this city, in this secular post-Christian city, hey, the Christians have this problem too. And here's what I want to start off with. In your life, you are care about your power. What are your powers? Your powers are your abilities, your talents. Whatever you're good at, it's your discipline, it's your resources. So you went to a good school. You're really good at science. Or you're, you're really good with words. Or you're incredibly athletic. Or you're really good looking. <laughs> so you just get through in life. You're like, I'm the smartest person, but I was really good looking and I've got charm. So I'll get to this level of school and then my charm and my good looks will carry me through. This is our powers. This is what we care about. So talent is huge today. <laughs> talent, school, all this stuff. School isn't so much about school. It's about power. Man's power. Your power, my power. And when we get through life, you know what we think we need? We need this. This is what we need. And here's the second thing that we need. We need our wisdom. And you know, what we need? And you know where our source of wisdom is? It's not primarily here. It is not the Bible and it is not the center of the Bible, the gospel, or the central person <coughs> the gospel points to, Jesus Christ. <coughs> Sorry. That's not where we seek our wisdom. So almost everybody, their wisdom comes from, one, whatever you know, your smarts. Two, your family. So if you have all this idea, you have these prejudices, and that's what I think a lot of them are. There are a lot of what you think you know from your family. Some of it is wise. Some of it is just prejudice. And you know what? A lot of us, we can't tell the difference. What's prejudice from your family? <laughs> and what's actually real wisdom? I don't know. Do you know? But a lot of it we think is our wisdom. A third thing, your experience. There's a lot of people that I meet, they think, there's this thing I went through back then, and it, they, they learned a really important lesson from it. And when you listen to it, it's good. But then they think it applies to like all situations. Everybody should get this. Everybody should live life through that lens, their experience. I'll give a, a critique about this just you know, in, in, in today's list. There's a lot of people who think, for instance, that if you aren't black, you can't understand anything about racism because only they have this great experience and then only they can speak to that issue. Well, that is a piece of wisdom it's incredibly common in the universities today and in our companies. It's totally wrong. It's not totally well, I shouldn't say it's totally wrong. It's like 90% wrong. Because that piece of wisdom from experience, as important as it is, and it's, it is important, and as legitimate as it is, it's not the wisdom of all things. It's not. So some of you, you're like, I have some wisdom. Um, my father was abusive, therefore I understand everything about that issue. No, you don't. No, you don't. Right. And so, a lot of times we're just listening to people and then we just want to hear about their experience. And so it's my experience or somebody else's experience. And so that's the thing that's like legit to us, your experience. And so then we just size them up and say, well, well this person has this skin color or this person comes from this background and they have an experience that's legit. 
Well, the Bible says that's still the wisdom of man. God says it's not going to be enough. How about some other ones? Your education, of course. I don't want to be too mean about this, but there's a lot of things in education today I don't even think is real. It's more propaganda. There's a ton of things that are in education today that I don't even think is real knowledge. It's not even true. Some of it's just flat out lies. A lot. Okay? And some of it is half true. And what's wisdom in there? And so there's a lot of it. And one more, your culture's beliefs. Your culture's beliefs. A lot of people just automatically assume that if you came from a particular culture, and people, by the way, I mean culture in every way, your ethnic culture, and so you know, you, you've been steeped in the, the wisdom of, and your, your, your ethnic culture probably does have serious points of wisdom, but it's not wise on everything, and especially not on the issue of God. If you should choose between how your ethnic culture teaches you about God and how God teaches you about God, you know where you should find out about God? How God teaches you about God. Now, how do you know what God teaches you about God? Well, at least according to the Bible, it's through the Bible. And so I've seen this from Christians. Christians, they act like, I'm a Christian. They all say they believe in the Bible when it comes to wisdom about God, and then, then their version of Christianity is filled with their ethnic culture. And then when there's, there's a conflict between what it says in the Bible versus their ethnic culture, you know what they pick, regularly pick? They regularly pick their ethnic culture. That's what they pick. And it's, there's other cultures, socioeconomic culture. You're in the educated rich people's class. Okay, well, that's your culture. Or I am from the ghetto, or I am from working class. Well, everybody gets the wisdom of their culture. All of that is simply the blind leading the blind because nobody has all the wisdom. It's all still the wisdom of man. So, just let me just give you just some quick, this is how, how people push us off. Let's just say, if you're a Hindu, if you're a Hindu today, there's a lot of things that P Hindu people believe, and I don't know if you know, they believe in, for instance, samsara. Samsara is reincarnation. Life is ruled by a certain rules, not grace, not by story redemption, by rules. It's dharma. And then there's a power and a force in the world that's going to get you. It's called karma. How does it get you in your next life? And then there's a caste system and all these things. Now, so that's, that's their religious worldview. Someone comes along with the Bible. There's this guy named Jesus. He's not just one God. He's the God. And then he's going to pay for your sins. And not everything is based on law or dharma but on gospel and grace. It's totally weird. <laughs> and then there's other things inside their wisdom. Things like this, like, isn't this a Western religion? Isn't this a white man's religion? Isn't this an American religion? It doesn't ap apply to me. And so, for so many reasons, before anything has ever been even considered about the gospel or about the Bible, it's already shot out. You guys, all, let me give you a second one. You, a lot of you know that... Um, of course, you know, we all live in secular America here, post-Christian America. So I'll just, let me just say this. Here is, here, I'll just say it the way, these are the wisdom prejudices of secular America. Isn't God an imaginary, invisible friend? Is he even real? If he's far away or even exists at all, you can't see him or feel him. The stuff about him comes from some ancient religious book. 
there, aren't there these other books? And they're probably wrong too, aren't they? Or admixture. And does this stuff even have power? Is it really relevant? Or other ones. I've been to church before and the people were mean. The people were hypocritical or they were boring. Oh, that's true. <laughs> it can be true. But that's their experience again. And I've been around religious people. They just seem like cleaned up people, but they can just plain be weird. So isn't this all about just being a better person anyway? Why do I need this Jesus person for that? Why do I need this cross, blood, washing, forgiveness when I can just try to be a better person and help my neighbor? And who knows about the heaven part? So that's the common wisdom of the secular person. And how will they, it's like there's a, you know, a blockage to the possibility that there is an actual God who found a way to break into the systems of our wisdom and speak into our world. Let's go one more critique. The religious person. The religious person. So the religious person would be this. What you really need to do is just go to church more, pray more, go to synagogue more. You need to double down. You need to have more discipline, follow the laws better, do the five pillars better, do it more. And the real problem is you don't do more. And a lot of people think they're Christians, or they sound like they're Christians, but let me tell you, that's not Christianity. That's just the wisdom of man through the spirit of religion. You can go to church, and one person has the wisdom of man, and that's why they do church, and they do it as hard as they can. We call these people Pharisees. And then there's another set of people, they show up, and they're saying, you know what? I tried all this wisdom of myself, and I tried my powers, and it totally failed me. I'm following Jesus. I'm trusting in his grace. I'm trusting in his wisdom. I believe in him more than I believe in me. That spirit, and I know if you grew up in the church, everything I just said is completely basic. But what I want to let you know is it's probably not the spirit of I trust in Jesus more than I trust in my own smarts or my culture's smarts, or my education, or my powers, or my talent. I have 99 plus percent of the Christians I met, this spirit of I trust in the Bible and Jesus, more than any of those things, that spirit is weak. That's what I've seen. I'm not trying to be mean, but in all honesty, I mean, Christians from all around the country, rich Christians, poor Christians, so forth, the ones who have the spirit of the wisdom of the cross, the power of the cross, Christ my power, Christ my wisdom, above anything else. It is a weak, it's a weakness among Christians. Okay, let's go to part two, <laughs> okay? Um, I wanna say something about this. Um, I wanna give you a little bit of a dirty secret of, about being a pastor. <laughs> so this thing I just told you, that people have a very low esteem for the things that are taught in the Bible and particularly the gospel, including Christians, including Christians. This is a total, like, this is a complete, open, big, big thing inside, and it's a dirty secret of all ministry. It's one of the things that makes ministry really, really hard because you're telling people the most important things in the world, and they treat it like it's number 10 on their to-do list. 
It's like Jesus is the most important person in their life, right? But in our daily life, we shove him into like the back, back, like if your car had a back seat, it would be like the back of the minivan. Jesus is riding the back of the minivan and you barely can hear his voice. The Bible is like that. A lot of us are like that. And so one of the secrets of, of ministry, I just want to say this to you, is, um, is waiting for people's wisdom and power to fail. That's one of the things I found out. As a young man, I used to think, if I, t- if I teach it better, if I do everything in my power to get them to do it and get them to obey, they will, like, get it, right? You know what I found out? It's not true. As long as people are filled with their power and their wisdom... Jesus is going to be like really, really low in their great esteem of how badly they need him. But then life happens. Life happens. And you know what happens? We use our wisdom and our power. And somewhere, it isn't even just despite that the power wasn't good enough or the wisdom wasn't good enough. It's actually you used your wisdom and your wisdom actually wrecked your own life. And as a pastor, one of the things I found out is what you need to do is just be really calm and patient, and loving, and merciful, and wait for that to happen. And then when it happens, all of a sudden, one week they're showing up at church, my money's good, but then in the middle of the week, their wife hates their guts. (laughs) Next week at church, they show up, and now they barely remember what you said the previous week, but today they're all ears. That's what it's like. And I'm not trying to be mean to anybody, but let me say this something. We're all like this. And here's, so here's the way I want to give you the gospel today in, in this. One of the things I, I realized about ministry is just being really, really patient and letting people just waiting. waiting. It's, it's not if, it's when. It's not if, it's when people's lives break and they break because of their own righteousness, their own wisdom. It's when not if, I realize it's not because I'm such a good pastor for doing this. You know what this is? This is Jesus. If a pastor does this, it's not because he's so smart or because he's so good at his job. You know what he has to do? He just has to believe in the gospel. Because the gospel says, that everybody cares about their power and their wisdom. And God, in his foolishness, chose to say, I will come into your world and I'll do the dumbest thing ever. I'll make a deal with you. I will live with complete righteousness and wisdom. And for that, you will hate my guts and you'll crucify me. And then, everything that's bad about you, including your righteousness, including your righteousness, put it on me, and I'll die the death you deserve. And all this totally insufficient and this awful righteousness and powers will die with me. All your shame, all your foolishness, all your pride will die with me. And then, when you break your life, you'll be totally forgiven, and I'll just love you, and I'll be here for you. 
So this doesn't sound very sexy, does it? Extreme patience. Actually, better than extreme patience, infinite patience. Mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace. This is the stupidity of God. Because on the other side of the cross, that's what God gives us. That's what God gives us. And so, I want to speak to the Christian. The problem of choosing our wisdom and power over God's again and again isn't really just the problem of the unbeliever. It's the Christian. The Christian does that too, all the time. We do that all the time. And you know what Jesus offers? He's always waiting to give us his truth, his wisdom. He's willing to give us himself and his patience. And then he's waiting for us to kind of get it. You know, this is the real woke. <laughs> you know, today, if you're not woke, you're a bad person, right? The real woke is to be awakened from the dark sleep of your own power and of your own wisdom. When you're finally really awake, you're going to find out, oh, Jesus, all that is terrible in me is on the cross. And all that's wonderful is awaiting. Not with judgment, not with condemnation. It's completely the opposite of us. So somebody hangs out with you. You teach them something. They don't get it. You teach them again. They don't get it. By the 10th time, they don't get it. And then, you know, like fathers and sons, and they don't talk to each other anymore. This is how it happens, right? Or you're a teacher. The, the student is really, really bad. The third time, they don't get it. That's it. You're a friend. Your friend doesn't listen to you. They don't get it. They don't get it after the fifth or so. They, they hurt you. They let you down. And then that's it. That's it. You cut off that friendship. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. And he cycles through as we keep going back. We double down on the wisdom. We double down on the power. We double down on the wisdom. We double down on the power. And then we believe it, kind of. And then we believe it, kind of. And then he keeps waiting. He keeps giving us grace upon grace upon grace. And one of those points that grace is going to break through and you and I, not because we're so smart or because we got a piece together, but because his power of grace upon grace will break through into the stubborn folly and pride of our own mind and will finally go, oh my goodness, Christ is truly my full power and all my wisdom and none of my own. So throughout this series, that is my hope for you. Brothers and sisters, my hope for you that some word throughout this series will convict you of a place in your life where you're running your wisdom and your power and not God's. And you will run back to the foolishness of the cross, grace upon grace. I'll close this message by telling you a story. You've been listening to me rail and go on for a while. Um, I'll tell you a story. This passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 to 25, it's a life verse for me. I hope you have life verses. They're verses that you learned and it absolutely changed you. And you build your whole life on this. And this passage is a life verse for me. And why? Because this thing that I'm telling you that we do, I have lived big chunks of my life 
depending on my powers, my talent, or my wisdom. And I love knowledge. <laughs> I, I am a bookish person. I love reading more books. I love acquiring more wisdom and knowledge. And that's my, that's my, that's my power, is I'm a, I'm a smart dude. I'm an intellectual. And all of my life, I've been thinking, if I can put this stuff together, of course I like Jesus because, you know, I want to go to heaven, and I want to have a relationship with God, and I want to have my sins forgiven, and, and I, I do care about church, and I want to have, but for much of my life, I've generally tried to manage God. I've tried to keep Jesus in a certain place. And, you know, even after I thought I had Jesus really be truly my full wisdom, my real Lord, and I obey him no matter what, I still found that I want to depend on my own wisdom. So, um, here, let's just, I'll blitz you through a little bit of my life, okay? So then I'll, I'll tell you my story, just so you can see how many times I've, I've, I've blown this. I was saved at the age of 11, and I was like, wow, I don't have to be Mr. Goody Tissues to make it to heaven. Fantastic, like that deal. And then I found out that in my mid-teenage years that there's certain sins in me, that there's this thing called total depravity, and it's totally real, and it applies to me. And so salvation is holy and completely by grace. It's got to be. Because if there's even a little part of me in it, I'm going to screw it up. That was, that, was the next, that was the next stage. And then when I got to college, you know what I found out? I found that I like having Jesus be my savior, but I don't actually want him to define and shape my life because I want it to be in my life. I had my wisdom to decide my major. I had my wisdom to decide my future. I had my wisdom to decide my dreams. I had my wisdom to decide how my life was going to be happy. Not Jesus. And so that was, a, that was the first time I ever really wrestled with that issue in late in college. And then, and then when I got to my graduate studies, I started to shake. And I was going like, well, the Bible is true, but maybe all these unsophisticated people don't, you know, they, you know like, they're not that smart. Because, you know, like, otherwise, wouldn't all these really smart people, like, have figured it out by now? And so then I went through a whole intellectual training, and I just started studying all the different ideas that have, like, had played throughout history. And you know what I found out? They all die. They die, they fail, they die, they fail, they die, they fail, they fail, they fail. And I did this at, you know, I did this at the smart school, guys, and I don't, you don't know, none of you think this is on boasting. I did this at Harvard. So it seemed, it seemed realistic. I found out 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is very, very real. But here's the story I want to close with. I went through yet another version of this. In my early 30s, in my early 30s, I was married. I had two young children. I was an ordained pastor. And um, I, had, I was about two or three years into a PhD program at Westminster Theological Seminary. And Westminster Seminary is one of the finest seminaries in the world. But it's also a poor place. <laughs> and their PhD program, honestly, isn't very well run. So this is what life was like. I'm in, my er I'm in my early 30s. I have two young children. Elizabeth wasn't born yet. We were living in a, in a, in a nice little townhouse, a very, very modest townhouse. It's about 1,000, maybe 1,100 square feet. And we were living in a pretty modest portion 
of Greater Philadelphia. It's called West Norton Township. The town is called Norristown. And the, 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 um, the, the reputation of Norristown is that it's poor and it's ghetto because right in the center of Norristown, it used to be very poor and mostly black and pretty dangerous. But our side was the very, very edge of the town that was mostly white and working class white and pretty safe and very, very pleasant. At least I thought it was very pleasant. But here's what I, was, what I was going through at this period of my life. I found out, what is my power, my talent? Well, I'm, I'm good at reading the Bible and explaining it. You know what I also found out? I'm going like, wow, I'm also Korean-American and, um, you know, finding a job where you get paid okay is hard. That's kind of what I found out. And so, you know, in my first go-round, in my first full-time ministry, I, I don't mean to be mean, but I got paid Korean church wages. It's pretty bad. <laughs> and that wasn't why I ran away from that job. Even worse, I ran away from that job because I felt like I threw everything I had at this job and I was failing as a pastor. So I ran away. So I actually didn't start the PhD program to find out what I was good at. I ran away from ministry. I went to the PhD program because I was good at, I was good at this stuff. <laughs> and so they accepted me to the PhD program because they looked at my transcript. Well, he must be good at this stuff. So they accepted me. You know what I found? That I'm actually good at this stuff. These are my powers. But here's what life was like when I was, you know, I don't know if I said this to my wife much. I would spend long hours studying outside my house. And I'd drive around this neighborhood. So not far from our house was a Panera. It was the first time I ever discovered Panera. <laughs> and across the street from Panera was a Walmart. I spent hours studying at the Panera, and when I got sick of Panera, I would study at Walmart. <laughs> You're like, why would anybody... Because the Walmart had a food court. And at the food court, they had like, like 75 cent small Coke, which had total refills. And they gave you popcorn for free. And so I would eat free popcorn and drink Coca-Cola and sit at that Walmart food court for hours and study. And then... When I drive through the neighborhood to go back to my house, you know what I noticed? I said, this is a nice neighborhood. That house is about, I bet you it's a four-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bathroom house, about 2,000 square feet, and so it costs probably about $275,000. I bet you that's what it costs. It probably costs, and remember, I'm from Silicon Valley. So if you're from Silicon Valley, and you move to a neighborhood and you can get a four-bedroom, 2,000-square-foot house for 275000 You know what I did? I did exactly what I preached on last, last week. Don't do. Covet. Covet. I'm like, covet. 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 I go to the local bank. And here's how I was feeling. I'm going into the poorhouse to do what I'm good at. Study theology. Preach the Bible. The pathway from here to get a decent job looks pretty bad. Trying to find a decent professor job is really, really super, supremely hard. You need like luck more than skill. It's crazy. And then I can go back to pastoral ministry and trying to get a job outside the Korean American community is probably pretty hard. 
So I'm being really raw and honest with you. And so for about a year and a half, my prayer life was garbage. Why? Because deep down, I love Jesus. I desperately need Jesus. Every week we go to church. But at the same time, at the exact same time, I'm mad at Jesus. Because every day, here I'm a man, I'm a young man, with a wife I really, really love, and children I absolutely adore, and we're going into the poorhouse, and I feel like a total loser. And here's, so I had this daydream. This, I, I, I'm, I'm not making this up. I go to the bank, you know, like deposit some pathetically small check, okay? And uh, the teller, I sat there and go, I could do his job. The guy sitting over there who sells checking accounts and money market accounts, I'm like, I could totally do his job. And if I did his job, they would see I work really hard. And, you know, I could, you know, I would, they would probably promote me and I could be manager. And then after a while, I could be manager of the branch. And then I could live over there in that house that cost $270,000. I even coveted the house that we were renting. I was thinking, 1,100 square feet, three bedrooms, two bathrooms, oh, one and a half bathrooms, one and a half bathrooms. If I could own this, my life would just be great. And so I'll just go be a bank manager and we'll live in this neighborhood. And I'll coach Little League for Hudson. This was my wisdom. And for, you know, I don't actually say that out loud. And you know what? I don't even say that in my prayers. You know what? I just feel it. And I just like daydream about it and covet and sin, sin, and filled with my wisdom all the time. I was doing that for like a lot. I was lonely and unhappy and angry at God and love God. How do you like that? Angry at God and love God. All at the same time in my early 30s. This is what it's like. So today, you know, I meet millennials and I've been pastoring people and then they get mad because something breaks in their life. And then sometimes they, it breaks in their life and it's not their fault. And sometimes it breaks in life, it is their fault, but they don't know that it's their fault. And I sit there and just go, that's just like what I was like. Because here's the, the ugly truth. We don't want the cross in our life. We don't want God's wisdom in our life because God wants things like, you know what I want you to have? Deep, profound love. I want you to experience my deep, profound love and then I want you to give it and then when you give it, you'll experience my deep, profound love even more. But then when you go and do it, you know what happens? You will taste the cross because if you want to get close to Jesus, you'll taste his foolishness. We don't want any of that stuff. In my early 30s, I didn't want it either. All right, let's close. Here's how it changed. I went, we went home. And I was having a conversation with my mom. I'm close to my mom. It had nothing to do with any of this stuff. The conversation was getting late. It was late at night. My mom was telling me about her grand plans, her wisdom for her business, the family business, which had been very successful. And she said, you know, you're 
of my sons, you're the one that's got like, a, she called it the business mind. That's what she called it. She goes, but, so I, had a, I wanted you to take over the business, but God claimed you. And I had to give that up. Because you belong to him. And he called you. And you just have to do what he says to do. And I don't know what she said after that. <laughs> because after my mom said that, it was like, and, and I, don't, I don't know if it's like, a, like, it was like her head started to glow or something. It was crazy. It was like her mouth was talking, but God was talking to me. And he said, Susan, I haven't given up on you. I have great plans for you. I did not die on the cross so that you can have your little comfortable, cushy, no suffering, no cross life. That's not why I did that. I have better plans for you than you do. I chose you, set you apart. Trust me. At the end, that's what I came away from that conversation. I don't even remember what the heck we talked about. I remember walking in back to my bedroom like at two in the morning going like, God just dropped a bomb on top of my head. And I have been an idiot. And that's how I started to get back joy. And that's when I started to throw away my wisdom again. And that's when I said, whatever you want, Jesus, whatever you want, let's do it your way. Brothers and sisters, would you learn on the other side of the cross, Jesus gives you infinite patience. And that patience is to give you a life and to give you blessings far greater than you dream for yourself. And when he invites you to share in the cost of the cross, it is not so that he's going to make you suffer because he just wants to make you suffer so that he can invite you into his glories. Brothers and Jesus, brothers and sisters, please follow and trust in the power and wisdom of, Christ, of, of God, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we don't know how to be your sons and be like Jesus. We're more like sons of the world, daughters of our own wisdom and righteousness. And we esteem so many other things and not the Bible and not the gospel. And we look for all kinds of guidance, but not from the best friend there ever is. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for embracing the foolishness of the cross. And thank you for your infinite patience and mercy. Give us of your spirit. I pray that my brothers and sisters could learn not through the folly of their own wisdom. They could learn by the power and conviction of your spirit in the truth of the gospel, and run, run, run to Jesus. Go to him in prayer. 
go to him whenever they cry, go to him whenever they have deep, profound, hard places in life. Go to you, Lord Jesus, when we need guidance. I pray they would learn to trust that you will be there. And you will lead, and sometimes it'll be crazy, it'll seem crazy, that your wisdom, your foolishness is far greater than our wisdom. Help us to trust that and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.